0: Well, some of you maybe have recently received a phone call similar to the one that I received about a month ago. The caller left a message on my phone, a voicemail on my phone, and it went something like this. went something like, hey, there's a problem with your social insurance number. It's been compromised, and uh, we, we need you to call us right away. And the caller went on to say that if I didn't respond to them right away immediately, that I was at risk Understand this, I was at risk for being thrown into prison because of something that happened with my social insurance number. So as soon as I listened to this voicemail, I mean, I thought, I'm ticked off. Why are you trying to scam me? And then I thought, why are you trying to scam other people? And as I talked with some friends and family, they received a similar call, maybe you received a similar call, And you know what, if you are at home right now and you're waiting and you're a bit anxious that the police might come and haul you away to take you to prison because something happened with your social insurance number, forget about that. Don't be stressed. This is a scam. So I listened to the voicemail and I thought, okay, what do I do now? Do I just delete this and forget about it? And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I've got the number right here. I'm going to phone them back. I didn't know if I would get a voicemail or what would happen, but I dialed the number and when you know it someone picked up on the other line. And I thought, "Great, I'm talking to someone. I'm not talking to an automated machine." So the person answering the phone said, "Hi. Hello, how you doing?" And I said, "Great." They said, "Well, how can I help you?" And I said, "Well, actually, I'm the one returning your phone call. Someone from this number called me and left me a message." And they said, "So, how can I help you? What was the message about?" And immediately I'm thinking in my mind, "Well, you should know why you called me." So I said, "Well, here's the situation. Someone called from this number, about my social insurance number, and there's a problem with it in some way, and so I was asked to immediately contact this phone number. And they said, oh, uh, just a moment here, can I get some more information from you? They said, could I get your name and address? And so I was going to give them my name, not my address. So I said, yeah, this is Kent, returning the phone call here. And I said, so what evidence can you give me? that you actually work for the social insurance agency. What what information can you give me so that I know that you work and you represent the Canadian government? This person would pause for a moment and they said, well, I can give you my badge number and my name. And I said, great. So I've got a pen right here. What's your name and your badge number? And then guess what happened? The line went dead immediately. I called their bluff. Now here's the thing. I was not going to give them any information if I didn't have evidence that they were who they said they were. They represented the Canadian government. I needed some sort of sign. I needed proof. I needed evidence. I needed a sign. So we come now to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to be specific. And here's what we read in this verse. Then some of the experts in the law, along with some of the Pharisees, answered him, answered Jesus. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see a sign from you. We want to see evidence. We want to see proof. I think we're all familiar with the little phrase, seeing is believing, right? If we see something, then we think we'll believe in that. If we experience something personally, then we'll believe in that. Seeing is believing. If Jesus did show the Pharisees and the experts in the law a sign, you would think That they would believe in Jesus. But they had already seen signs. They had already seen miracles. They'd already seen signs and wonders and proof. Here's a few of the things that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the experts in the law, the scribes would have either heard about firsthand or seen Jesus do. They would have seen or heard about Jesus healing someone who was paralyzed. Another person who was healed from leprosy. Another person who had been healed from their blindness and their ability, their inability to speak. Another person who had had demons cast out of them. All of these signs, not to mention the sign of Jesus raising a little girl from the dead. They had already seen signs and yet they still asked for a sign. See, seeing doesn't result in believing all the time. Seeing isn't believing. And in fact, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. That when we believe, that's when we really do see things as they truly are. It's when we believe that we see with clarity, we see the truth, we see signs, and we believe in God. The opposite is true. Not seeing is believing, but believing is then when we see. It makes me wonder how many of us see the signs of God all around us? Or how many of us miss seeing the signs of God all around us? Are we we aware of the signs that God has put in place in nature and creation in the Bible, his fingerprints on our lives? Do we recognize the signs of God around us? Maybe you're joining us today and you don't believe in God. You don't share my faith, our faith as a church in Jesus Christ. But but you have spoken, or maybe even you would say that you've prayed and said, God, if you are real, show me who you are. God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. Give me a sign. Maybe you've said that. As followers of Jesus Christ, I mean, certainly all of us at one point or another have prayed, God, I need a sign from you. Help me. Give me direction. Give me guidance. Give me wisdom. I need your wisdom with this issue. I need a sign. Or maybe you've said, God, I need a sign from you that you really do care about me. Or God, I need a sign that will give me hope. Or God, I need a sign to show me that you love me still. You love me still. Or maybe I need a sign, God, that you're still there because the way that I feel right now, I don't know if you are there, that you hear me, that you see me. You see, the truth is that it's when we look back on our lives in retrospect that we see so clearly the signs of God's activity in our lives by his spirit, God moving and directing our lives. When we look forward into our life, we wonder, what will the signs of God be? How will he speak to us? How will he reveal himself to us? See, I don't want any of us, and I don't want you, to go through life missing the signs of God. I don't want you to go through life missing the signs of God in your life. Signs that point to God, signs that point the way to God, signs that point to life, signs that prove that God is real and here. You see, the truth is that God has been leaving signs all over the place, all over the place that he's near, that he loves you, that he wants to know you, that he wants a relationship with you, that he wants you to follow after him and his ways of life. God has been initiating all along with humankind, all along with humankind from the very beginning. Let me just show you just a few ways in Scripture of how God has left signs in Genesis here. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. And it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The rainbow is God's sign. God's sign of a covenant relationship between God and the whole earth and creatures of the earth for generations to come of his love and affection for humankind and that he won't destroy the earth The plagues in Egypt, just before we get to this verse, the plagues in Egypt with Pharaoh and Moses and the Hebrew slaves, all of those plagues were signs that revealed God's authority, His power, and might to redeem His people out of slavery. And all of those signs pointed forward to Jesus, who would redeem the whole world from slavery to sin. They were signs. Then we come here to Exodus. You must observe my Sabbaths, this will be a sign. This will be a sign. The Sabbath is a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. The Sabbath is a sign so that we would know who God is. The Sabbath is a sign. God gave the Israelites signs through the kings and the prophets. And then we get to Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? The sign is the virgin birth. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Another sign. And then Luke, Luke 2 verse 12. Sign to the shepherds. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Another sign. Signs and so many more all through the Old Testament. And in the gospels that we see, we see that God is not elusive. God is not like that girl or guy that you're attracted to that you want to date. He is not hard to get. He's not playing hard to get. He's not hard to reach. You see, sometimes we think that we are the ones struggling so hard, striving so hard to get God's attention or to find him or to seek him out because he's playing hide and seek from us. That is not the truth. That's so far from the truth. The truth is that God is the one who has been continually all the time trying to get our attention. He's been trying to say all the time, see me, notice me, notice my signs, notice that I'm here. God is the one who's been initiating the relationship with us. He's the one who's made the first move, the second move, the third, the fourth, the hundredth move towards us. He's the one who's been leaving signs so that we could find our way to him, to know him and believe in him. God has been leaving signs from the very beginning. And so then when we come to Matthew chapter 8, verse 32... I mean, look at the absurdity of the interaction here between the Pharisees and the experts in the law. The experts in the law were scribes. They would have been the ones that were copying down the ancient scriptures, the Old Testament, in manuscripts and making copies of them. These are the experts in the law. My point is they know their Bible. The Pharisees as religious leaders were intelligent people. They had seen all of what took place in the Old Testament, the signs from God, they had seen the miracles that Jesus had performed. And in spite of all of these signs, they still ask Jesus once again for a sign. Why? They asked Jesus to do some sort of a supernatural, possibly way to prove his identity or evidence to validate who he was. And so at their request of a sign here, Jesus has some very condemning, very convicting and direct, so direct answers to their request for a sign. Jesus says this, it's an evil and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. I mean, how more? Jesus can't get more direct than that, calling them in this whole generation evil and adulterous generation. What will it take for them to believe, to see the signs, to believe? You see, the concept of a sign was usually tied to something celestial, something in the sky. And so people would look up for a sign. They'd look up to the sky, up to heaven, up for a sign. They'd always been looking up, and so it's almost like the Pharisees are saying here, would believe a sign if you, you know, stopped the sun and wound the sun backwards, or if you aligned the stars to spell your name, Jesus, that'd be pretty cool. Or possibly, you know, do something with the moon, do something celestial in the sky that would prove to us that your power is that of the Messiah and not some random miracle worker. They wanted to look up for a sign rather than seeing that the signs pointed to a person, rather than looking up, looking right in front of them and seeing the person right in front of them, Jesus. Sometimes we're like this. We look so many different places. We look up, down, we look at Google. We look all around us for a sign and the sign is right there in front of us. I think there's two kinds of people that, that ask for a sign. Two kinds of people. I think the first is, It's people who are, are truly sincere, truly genuine, and they're asking for a sign. People who genuinely want answers, and they're open to believing in Jesus. They're open to believing in God. They're open to reading the Bible and believing it, that it's truth, that it's truth from God. They're open to the truth of who God is. They're open to the truth of who Jesus is. I was talking with my son, about this passage just a few days ago, and he said, you know what? I'd probably ask for a sign. Yeah, I probably would too. I mean, is it okay to ask God for a sign? Yes, it's absolutely okay. Because here's the thing, it all hinges on your heart motivation and why you're asking. I'll bet every one of you, myself included, we've asked Jesus for a sign at some point in our spiritual journey. Some revelation from him, perhaps even before we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we asked for a sign. We said, Jesus, are you real? Show me that you're real, please. You asked for a message, evidence. See, asking for a sign is not wrong if we are sincere in our motive and asking, asking, seeking, and desiring to believe. But there's others who ask for a sign and they're not sincere. They're not genuine. Instead, they're asking for a sign not to believe, but in order to discredit the sign. They're asking not to believe, but to discredit it. They're asking not because they want to know the truth, but because contrary to that, they want to prove the truth wrong. See, these folks ask for a sign when their hearts are hardened towards God. They're not asking out of sincere, genuine desire to believe or to follow or to understand In fact, they're committed, they're standing and they're committed in their unbelief. They're unshakable. They've got their minds made up and their hearts are against truth. Their eyes of faith are closed. They're not interested in discovery. They're not interested in revelation. They're not interested in truth. No matter what they see, they would not believe. And this is what I believe Jesus knew about the hearts of the Pharisees. And the experts of the law that were standing in front of him this day in Matthew 12 here, they were committed in their unbelief. And so Jesus then says to them, you represent an evil and adulterous generation. One summer um, in my university years, I read a book written by Charles Templeton. Some of you might be familiar with him. Um, The book was entitled Farewell to God. Sort of a sad title farewell to God. Charles Templeton was a friend and ministry colleague of Billy Graham. He was an evangelist with Billy Graham, preacher, teacher, evangelist. And Charles eventually quit this ministry of being an evangelist because he came to no longer believe in Jesus Christ, no longer believe in God, no longer believe in the Bible. And in this book, Farewell to God, he sort of states all the reasons why he doesn't believe any longer in Jesus, in God, in the Bible. And he, he then describes his own alternative interpretations to Jesus' miracles, including Jesus' death and resurrection, including the signs that, that prove that Jesus was the Messiah. He twists these signs, he twists these miracles and discredits them with far-fetched thoughts and ideas. And here's my point. Here's my point. No sign would have changed Charles' mind because the issue was with his heart. The issue was with his heart. His heart had drifted to unbelief, drifted away from the truth. You see, God had already shown Charles the signs. He'd always, already shown Charles the signs of who Jesus is in Scripture, but he didn't want to believe. He was not open to the truth. He was not open, and his heart became hardened against the truth. See, it's often when we believe, then we see. We see clearly. So back to Matthew chapter 12. The religious leaders ask Jesus for a sign, right? And Jesus says then, verse 39 to 42. An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man, if you don't know who the Son of Man is, this is Jesus, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented when Jonah preached to them. And now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and now something greater than Solomon is here. We're gonna unpack this passage just briefly here, but Jesus begins saying, I won't give you a sign. No sign will be given to you except, and I love this word except, because to me, even with the hardened hearts of the Pharisees and the experts of the law, this is Jesus being gracious and kind and compassionate. It's almost like Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give you a sign except, except one more sign, except one more opportunity to believe. I love this word except. What does Jesus mean here? Okay, God sent Jonah to go preach to Nineveh in the Old Testament. The Ninevites, I mean, they were a wicked nation. They didn't believe in God. They were enemies of Israel. And God still sent Jonah to go preach to them, give them a message and a sign in the prophet himself, in the prophet Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah, in fact, began to sail away from God and away from Nineveh, going in the opposite direction, in the wrong direction, trying to run away. A storm came up on the boat that Jonah was on. Jonah got thrown overboard in order to calm the storm. The storm was calm. A huge fish came and swallowed Jonah and then spit Jonah back up on the shore. And Jonah went and spoke to God, spoke to the people of Nineveh about God. That's, in general, the story of Jonah. But you see, when Jonah was swallowed by the big fish, this huge fish and he spent 3 days and 3 nights in the belly of this fish this was a symbolic death and resurrection of Jonah symbolically Jonah went down into the earth submerged in the depths and then spewed out back onto the shore figuratively metaphorically as a resurrection and while it's Jonah's death and resurrection was metaphorical Jesus death and resurrection was as real as it gets And the sign of the prophet Jonah is Jesus' resurrection from the dead. This is the sign, Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to give you any other sign except my death, burial, and resurrection. That's the sign that you're going to get. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, I'm the sign. My death and resurrection is the sign. There's only one sign you get, and it's me, Jesus is saying. That's all you get. The sign of Jonah points to me. This is what Jesus wanted the Pharisees and the experts in the law to understand. I mean, look at what author, scholar Dale Bruner says. He says this, The resurrection of the crucified Jesus will be God's one great sensation. God's single authorized sign delivered once and for all. After Jesus' holy week, God is not in show business. God will do one impressive thing in the world. Not to please the sensationalists, not to please the people that ask for a sign, but to show human beings his approval of his son. He will raise the executed Jesus from the dead. See, Jesus says to the Pharisees, I'm not going to give you a sign except, except me, my resurrection. My resurrection is the sign that I am the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Believe in me. Jesus says that he is greater than Jonah. Standing right there in front of him, someone greater than Jonah. And Jonah was an amazing prophet. Jesus goes on to say that he, someone standing in front of them, that he's standing in front of them greater than Solomon. I mean, Solomon was the greatest king in Israel's history. Jesus is the sign from God to the world, a sign of God's grace, a sign of God's mercy, a sign of God's forgiveness, his compassion, his justice, and his judgment. And Jesus is standing right in front of them, already performing miracles that they don't believe, and yet they ask for a sign, one more sign Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a sign except my resurrection. See, they missed the signs. They missed the signs. We were camping recently with some friends. And uh, one of the nights we were sitting beside the campfire. And my friend leaned over to me and he just said, Hey, did you notice those girls following our boys around the last couple of days? And I, I looked at him and I was shocked. Shocked. They've got two boys, we have two boys. He said, did you see those girls following them around? I was shocked, I said, what? And then I said, no, really? And he said, yeah. He said, these girls have been following our boys around. They've gone to the pool and then when the boys changed the pools, the girls went into the other pools and the boys went to the BMX track and the girls went to the BMX track and I thought, really? No, how can that be? I was completely oblivious. all of this going around. I was shocked. I missed the signs. And then my friends started to say, yeah, I saw this. I noticed this. This happened there. This happened there. I was was floored. I was in another world because I did not see any of this going on. I missed the signs. I missed the signs. The people of Nineveh, this pagan, wicked nation so far from Israel, Gentiles in fact, a Gentile nation, they saw the signs and believed the people of Nineveh who did not believe in God they worshiped idols they lived far away from Israel they were Israel's enemies God sent Jonah to go preach to them Jonah didn't want to go preach to them he was such a reluctant preacher i don't even know how he would have communicated to them in a compelling way he didn't want them to repent and yet the people of Nineveh they believed in God they confessed their sin they changed their hearts they surrendered to God changed their ways We're even told that the king of Nineveh tore his clothes and sat in dust as a sign of his extreme sorrow for his unbelief and his sin. They believed in God. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, experts of the law, he said to everyone listening, he said, when the judgment day comes, the whole people of Nineveh, will stand up with this generation. And the people from Nineveh will will condemn this generation because they had Jesus right there in front of them doing miracles. And yet they didn't believe. The people of the generation that saw Jesus teach and heal and do all these signs and wonders, I mean, they, they had a privileged place. They had amazing opportunity. It's almost like the people of Nineveh saying, we just got Jonah. You got Jesus, we just got Jonah. And yet we believed. Jesus goes on to say that the queen of Sheba who traveled all the way from northern Africa to Jerusalem to hear the truth and the wisdom of God through Solomon, she even allowed God's revelation to touch her heart. And Jesus says that the day of judgment, the queen of Sheba will stand up again with this generation and condemn this generation because they had Jesus in front of them and they didn't believe. You see, Jesus uses some pretty harsh words to describe the Pharisees, the experts of the law and others. He calls his listeners evil and adulterous. I mean, why were they evil? What was it about? What was it about them that that made them evil? That Jesus would call them evil? Jesus is saying they're evil because they're willfully, willfully blind. They don't want to believe. It's not that they can't believe. They don't want to believe. They, in fact, choose not to believe in Jesus, that he's the son of God. In fact, they choose to remain committed in their unbelief in spite of what they see. Seeing does not lead them to believe. Why does Jesus say they're adulterous? He says they're adulterous because they know God. They know about God. They've been told stories about the God of the Old Testament. They know the stories. They know the signs and wonders that God did to lead them as a nation. They know God, but they're not faithful to God. They're not faithful to God and believing in his son, Jesus. And so they're unfaithful to God. They don't believe in God. Do you see signs from God around you? Are you missing the signs? Signs written on the pages of the Bible. Signs from God, signs from Jesus, signs from his Holy Spirit. Signs from the very beginning of time. Signs from your life about how God has been active in your life, speaking to you, nudging you, convicting you, encouraging you, guiding you in your life. Do you see the signs of God? Or are you missing them? You see, the signs of God, the signs of God, all that I mentioned through the Old Testament, all the signs of God point to a person. You see, we don't believe in Miracles in the healings and the signs and wonders themselves. We don't believe in the miracles themselves, we believe in a person. All the signs of the Bible throughout Scripture point to a person, they point to and find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who we believe in, it's Him who we place our faith and trust in. We don't believe in the signs, we believe in the person. It's Jesus who we surrender our lives to. It's Jesus who we obey. It's Jesus who we follow. It's Jesus who is our God, our Savior, our friend. The signs point to a person, and it's in Jesus that we believe in. So I just want to end asking you, do you believe? Do you, will you believe in Jesus? If you don't believe in him already, do you see the signs of his activity in your life? to see the signs in the life of Jesus Christ. God has already given you signs. He's been already trying to get your attention. Whether you've given him your attention or not, he's been trying to get your attention. He loves you. He looks upon you with love and compassion. He is for you. He desires you to step into an amazing, abundant, amazing life. He wants you to know Him. He, he already knows you, all about you, and He still loves you. And He wants you to know Him. He wants you to live your life with Him. See, believing comes not by having all of your questions answered. Certainly, we need some of our questions answered. and The Bible does answer them. But believing doesn't come from having all of your questions answered because there's still mystery. In this Christian faith of ours, I have questions that are not answered yet. You'll always have questions about Jesus, about God, about Scripture. Believing comes by faith, by a conscious choice of your will to believe, to act in faith. Not blind faith, not uninformed faith, not irrational faith, informed faith. And faith just enough to believe. Faith informed just enough to believe. To believe that Jesus is real. To believe that he is God's son. To believe that he did die and was buried and raised back to life to pay for your sin, to deal with your sin and my sin. That's what we believe. That's why we follow Jesus. So I want us to pray right now. And if you would like to believe in Jesus, take that step of faith. I want to pray briefly here and pray something like this in the quietness of your heart. Or if you're alone, pray out loud. But pray something like this. Jesus, help me with my unbelief. Lead me by your spirit to believe in you through faith. Jesus, I do believe that you are the Son of God. That you died for my sin. Forgive me for my sin. I confess that to you right now. Make me clean on the inside. I now believe in you as a decision of my will. I believe in you as my Savior, as my Lord, as my God. Help me to follow you amen. If you prayed something like that, that's a first step in following Jesus. That's you saying, I'm not remaining committed in my unbelief anymore, but I'm stepping out in faith and I'm believing not in the signs, but in Jesus and a person who's going to give me life. You're on the right track. You're on the right journey here. And if we can help you in any way, there's some information on our YouTube chat, information on our, on our website, on our online platform on our website. Call us at the church here. We'd love to help you and walk with you as you journey in following Jesus. Now there's others of us here who've been following Jesus for quite some time. And here's the thing. The challenge for us is to remain and continue in our believing Jesus. Because here's the thing, we know we have an enemy that will try and fill us with doubts, try and move us away into unbelief. But our role, our commitment needs to be remain in believing Jesus and following after him, believing in Jesus and seeing the signs that God has placed in our lives. It's easy for followers of Jesus, for us, myself included, to become apathetic, complacent. It's easy for us to settle for comfort. It's easy for us to get lazy in our obedience of Jesus. It's easy for us to get lazy and distracted from our relationship with God through his Holy Spirit. It's easy for our hearts to become hardened, to become dull. It's easy for us to lose our compassion, to lose our love, to lose our joy that we have. These are the things that we need to guard against. And so instead of us being fully devoted, fully committed, fully surrendered to Jesus, at times we can find ourselves drifting 75% obedient, committed, 50%, 25%. So the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is to regularly re-surrender, regularly re-commit, regularly say once again, yes, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in the signs and the miracles and the wonders. I believe in Jesus. And I surrender and commit my life to Him once again. If any of these words that I've said, words like apathetic, complacent, comfort, lazy in our obedience, distracted, hearts dull, hearts hardened, If any of these things that I've said describe you, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me right now that we would once again be solid in our commitment and believing Jesus and following him. So if if any of these words resonate with you, join me in praying right now. And so Jesus, we acknowledge that we can wander, we can get distracted, we can lose our passion, we can, we can falter in obedience to you. And we just acknowledge that right now. And so Jesus, once again, by your Holy Spirit, we ask for help, we ask for strength so that we would remain fully surrendered, fully obedient, fully sold out, fully believing in you. And help us so that our lives would reflect that we really do believe in you, Jesus. Help our lives to be signs to people watching that we're not perfect people, but we love you, Jesus, and we follow after you. Help our lives to be signs to others. Point people to you. So we just acknowledge we need your help and we surrender ourselves once again, our hearts, our minds, our spirit, our bodies. We surrender once again to you, to your Lordship, Jesus. Forgive us of our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us clean. Fill our hearts with joy and love and compassion. Help us to represent you well in this world.